The following live presentation by Rabbi David Aaron is brought to you by Israelite, inspiring a renaissance in Jewish living. To learn more about Israelite, please visit our website at www.israelite.org. Additional contact information is available at the end of this presentation. Thank you for learning with Israelite and enjoy the experience. Okay, book it up. I'm assuming no one got more than one hour of sleep last night? Good, good, because I'll be teaching Kabbalah, so the more spaced out you are, the more sense I'm going to make. Kabbalah is very hot. Everybody knows that Madonna is studying Kabbalah, right? And I think you all know her Hebrew name is? What's her Hebrew name? Esther, right, we all know that. I don't know if you've heard the latest about Rachash Brinza. That's Britney Spears. Rachash Brinza. She looks like a Rachash Brinza. Anyways, Kabbalah's hot. When I started studying Kabbalah, Kabbalah wasn't so hot. Uh, I was uh, 18 years old, and I was walking to the Western Wall. It was my first week in Israel. I didn't know that much about Judaism. And a very religious looking man with long payoffs, you know what payoffs are? You know, long side curls. Um, and a long black coat and a long black beard. He was, he was very long. And uh, he came up to me and in a broken English he said, I teach Kabbalah. You want to learn Kabbalah? What did I know about Kabbalah? The only thing I knew about Kabbalah is what they told me in Hebrew school, which is it is forbidden to study Kabbalah until you're 40. So this religious looking man comes up to me and offers to teach me something forbidden, so my response obviously is yes. (laughs) Great idea, an opportunity to do something Jewish, but forbidden nonetheless. So I don't know why he came up to me, but I figured it must be that I'm the Messiah. And so he came up to me. And uh, he started teaching me once a week the Kabbalah. Now I didn't understand just about a word he said because he spoke in Hebrew when he taught and I didn't know Hebrew. So that definitely made it very mystical. But even when I started getting the Hebrew, it continued to be quite mystical because the ideas were really kind of over my head. When you're my size, it doesn't go, it's not a long journey to go over your head, okay? But over... 30 years now of immersion in the Kabbalah, I think I have something that I could share with you that I think you're going to really, really enjoy and can truly benefit in your own life. So let me tell you a little bit about what the Kabbalah is, and then I'm going to share with you a very powerful idea from the Kabbalah, okay? But to tell you what the Kabbalah is, I want to tell you a quick little story. We're going to fast forward. I'm now studying Kabbalah for about five years now. So I'm still pretty young. I'm 25 years old. And uh, my friend and I were walking in a religious neighborhood called Geula, which is very close to here, right? Walking distance from here. It's right next to Me'asharim. Have you been to Me'asharim and Geula yet? Okay, have you heard of them? All right, well, it's a very religious neighborhood. Okay, my friend and I are walking. Uh, one evening, and my friend turns to me and says, have you ever heard of the great Hasidic Kabbalistic master, the Lulavar Rebbe? I was a little embarrassed because I never heard of him, you know, and uh, he said, oh, you never heard of him? He is one of the most amazing 
Right? He's one of those guys that can look right through your soul. Now I knew I didn't want to meet him, right? Who wants to look through your soul, okay? So I said, well, why are you bringing this up? He said, because we're on the very street that the Louisville Rebbe has his center. And since it's Rosh Chodesh, the beginning of the new Hebrew month, maybe the Rebbe's hosting a tish. Now a tish in Yiddish means, does anybody know what tish is? Table. And Hasidic Rebbe's would every Friday night or special events host a tish where all their Hasidim, all their disciples would gather around and the Rebbe would learn with them and eat with them and, and sing with them. So since it was Rosh Chodesh, the beginning of the new Hebrew month, my friend said, maybe the Rebbe is having a tish. So as we're getting closer to the center, we see that indeed there are people coming in and out of the building, buildings all lit, and so we figured, okay, maybe he's having a tish. Now I'm a little worried about this because, you know, meeting people that look through your soul, I don't know about that, I don't really want to meet those people. But we walk in, the room was about three, four times the size of this room. We walk in through the door and I see a room filled with hundreds of people and the Rebbe, this great Kabbalistic master, was standing behind this long table and everybody was around. And when my friend and I walked into the room, the Rebbe went, ha! And he started to stare in our direction. Okay, so it didn't take much time before everyone realized that somebody or something has caught the attention of the Rebbe. Because he's staring. So now everybody else is staring. Who's the Rebbe looking at? Who's the Rebbe looking at? My friend and I, we turn around and there's just a wall. <laughs> Who's the Rebbe looking at? At this point, I'm getting very scared. Who's the Rebbe looking at? Then the Rebbe started to point. And I was wondering, who's the Rebbe pointing at? Who's the Rebbe pointing at? And before I knew it, the entire room was pointing at my friend and I. The Rebbe wants to see us. Right? And you know what happens when the Rebbe wants to see you. Okay? So, I'm not scared. I took my friend, put him in front of me, and I started walking towards the Rebbe. And thank God, two of the Hasidim, two of the disciples of the Rebbe, grabbed my friend by both sides, pushed him through the crowd, and the Rebbe starts asking my friend questions. I could barely hear the conversation. But thank God, I was saved. But then the Rebbe started to yell in Yiddish, Where's the other one? Where's the other one? And of course, there was no other one but me. And at that moment, two of his big Hasidim grabbed me, right, and started pushing me through the crowd. Right? And there I am standing in front of this Rebbe. The Rebbe looks at me and he had strange eyes. They go like this. Like they go, they don't look at you. <laughs> so I said, how's he going to look through me? I said, like, they have very strange eyes. So the Rebbe says to me in Hebrew, From what congregation do you come? And now I'm worried. I knew it. In my last life, I scalped those Rosh Hashanah tickets, right? I knew it. I knew it. And so I, but I didn't know what he's talking about because Ada congregation. I, I said to him in my perfect Hebrew at that time, I said, Slicha, excuse me. And he says, From what congregation do you come? And I don't know what he's talking about. And especially in Israel, people don't so much belong to congregations like in America. So I go, Slicha. He says, are you Svardi or are you an Ashkenazi? Do you know what a Svardi and Ashkenazi Jew are? Okay. Okay, Svardi are Jews that are descendants of people that went to Northern Africa or Spain, whereby Ashkenazi is more Europe, right? So now I'm really confused. 
this guy can see through your soul? He thinks I'm Oscar, he thinks I'm Sephardi? Do I look Sephardi, right? Growing up, people thought I was Irish. I mean, you know, Sephardi. I looked at him and I said, Ani Ashkenazi, in my perfect Hebrew. And he doesn't believe me. Well, I'm thinking, he can't see through souls. This guy can't see through souls. He thinks I'm Sephardi. I said, oh, Ani Ashkenazi. And he doesn't believe me. He says, Ata Ashkenazi? You're learning Hebrew here. Are you an Ashkenazi? I said, Cain, Cain, yes. He says, where's your father from? Russia. Where's your mother from? Poland. And he can't believe it. He goes, you're an Ashkenazi. I said, Cain. And he turns to the entire room and goes, ha, an Ashkenazi. And the whole room's going, Ashkenazi, Ashkenazi, Ashkenazi. It's kind of like out of the feeler on the roof. Is it a mule? Is it a horse? Is it a mule? All right, never in my life did I think I'd have to stand up from my Ashkenazi hood like, yeah, you want to make something out of it? Like, what? Again, I'm Ashkenazi. Fine. Then the Rebbe stands up dramatically and dangles an apple in front of me. Alright, so the Rebbe is going to give me an apple. So I reach for the apple, and as I'm reaching for the apple, the whole room screams, No! And I don't know what I'm doing wrong, and I wish I never walked in there. And the Rebbe smiles, he dangles the apple again in front of me by its stem, so I reach for the apple, and the whole room screams, No! And I'm figuring out, oh my gosh, what is going on? I look around, I see everyone going like this. And then I realized, since I'd been studying Talmud for five years at this point, uh-uh-uh, 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 right? You don't go like this, but you go like this. Okay, so now I reach out my hand, I cup it underneath the apple, and the Rebbe has this big smile, and he drops the apple into my hand. And at that moment, two of us Hasidim grabbed me and pulled me out of the crowd, beat me up and took my apple. No, I'm just joking, no. They didn't take my apple. Okay, they did beat me up. No, they didn't beat me up. Okay, so bizarre, right? Like, what's this? What's this? Fine. But it got even more bizarre. The Rebbe started to do some singing and he started to talk. And then suddenly the Rebbe kicks back from the table. And you have to say this man's in his like mid-80s. He gets up. And he races across the room to the front door. I'm thinking, oy vey, where's he going? You know? But he stops at the front door, he puts his hand on the mezuzah, and he starts to pray, starts to chant. Then he turns around again, and now I realize that no one has a clue where this Rebbe is running to, because he runs back into the room, into the crowd, and the crowd like splits like the ocean, and he goes to the Ark and the Kodesh, and he puts his hands on the Kodesh, the Ark, and he's praying. He then turns around again, and he darts back into the room full of people. He stops on a dime, turns around, looks me in the face and says, what are you studying? Now how did he see me? There's hundreds of people here. This man is running randomly around the room, and he stops and goes, what are you studying? And there I am sitting, standing there with a Kabbalistic finger in my face. And the whole place goes quiet, waiting for a 25-year-old to answer to this Rebbe, what am I studying? So I, I said, I'm, I'm, studying, um, I'm studying the Talmud. I lied. <laughs> you know, if he can see through my soul, what's he asking me questions for? I mean, you know, I, I said, I'm studying Talmud. Now, I didn't quite lie, because I was also studying Talmud, but I didn't think that was what he was asking me. And he looked at me and says, you're studying Talmud? I said, Ken, Ken. He said, 
Which tractate from Talmud? Which book? So I said, the book on the laws of Shabbat? And he looked at me and went, <laughs> and he ran away. <laughs> and then everybody started shaking my hand, like this must be a fraternity thing, like, like, like did I get in? Anyways, I walked out of there shaking like a leaf. My friend said to me, what was that all about? He didn't ask me if I was an Ashkenazi. He didn't force me to take that apple in that strange way. And how did he pick you out in the crowd? I said, I don't know. But I did know. You see, as I mentioned, at that time I was studying Kabbalah. And you know what Kabbalah means? What's the difference if you go like this or you go like this? This is called... And this is called... And that is called Kabbalah. Kabbalah literally means to receive. That's what it means. Likabel means to receive. And that's what the Kabbalah is about. The Kabbalah is not about getting more out of life. It's receiving more from life. It's the art of receptivity. How to open your life up to abundant blessing. But you got to know how to humbly receive the blessings that are coming down every single moment of our lives. That's what Kabbalah is. Why did the Rebbe ask me if I was Ashkenazi as Fardi? Because in the study of Kabbalah there are two different schools of thought. There's the Ashkenazi school of thought and the Sephardi school of thought. And do you know which Kabbalah I had immersed myself in? The Sephardi school of thought. So what's a nice Ashkenazi like me doing, learning the Sephardi Kabbalists? Go figure. Why did the Rebbe force me to take the apple in that unique way? Because he was teaching me something I didn't understand on my own after five years of studying Kabbalah. And I missed the point. It's about Kabbalah. It's about receiving blessing in your life. It's about some ultimate gift that is waiting to come into your life and just waiting for you to know the secret of receptivity. So what I want to share with you right now is the Kabbalistic description of creation and then I want to clarify who are we, why are we, and how do we increase the pleasure in our lives. Okay. So I'm going to share with you the secrets of the universe in three minutes. No, it'll, be, it'll take about five. Okay, it goes like this. The Kabbalah teaches that in the beginning all of existence was endless light. It's a metaphor. This is not how Kabbalah understands the universe. This is how Kabbalah experiences the universe. To experience everything and everyone as endless light. When the Endless One, which is a Kabbalistic term for the Divine, wanted to create you and me and this world of multiplicity, the Divine caused the withdrawal of His light from the center of this Endless Light, creating a vacuum, a spherical vacuum. Okay? And this the Kabbalist teaches is the beginning of space. Most people think space is nothing. But space is really very much something. How do we know? Because here, I'm going to hold up a little space for everyone to see. Do you, you all see space? If nothing is between my hands, then my hands should be together. So obviously there must be something between my hands. It's called space. Can't see it, can't taste it, can't feel it. But it's obviously very real. Because if it was nothing, then if nothing's between my hands, they should be together. So you just meant space. 
Okay? It's something. Okay, in this space, the divine created vessels, ten vessels, finite vessels. The Kabbalah then says that God projected a concentrated thin ray of endless light, Right, which is by the way the unfortunate title of Madonna's album, Ray of Light, that's where she got this from. A thin ray of endless light into the vessels, but the vessels couldn't take the light. And they exploded. And this is most probably the Kabbalistic source for a big bang of some sort in the universe. Something breaks down. And everything goes into a state of chaos. The Kabbalah then tells us that all these shattered vessels and interspersed light have to be reconnected, reconstructed, so that the vessels will eventually succeed in receiving the light. Okay? And that's in a nutshell, and boy did I edit, the secret of the Kabbalah. Now Rav Nachman of Bretzlev, who was a great, great Hasidic master, he explains that if you understand this little metaphor, you have the secret to everything in your life. And basically almost all my books are just on that metaphor. Because there's so much depth in that metaphor. What I want to share with you now is just a slice of what that metaphor means in terms of our life. Okay? It goes like this. The Kabbalists ask some very simple questions. The first question is, what is this light? The second question is, what are or who are these vessels? The third question is, why did these vessels break? And the fourth question is, how do you fix the vessels? And that's what we're going to talk about. Okay? So what is this light? All of existence is endless light, and the divine gives this endless light over to the vessels. What, what is this light all about? So the Kabbalists answer one of the most disturbing questions mankind has ever asked. The question is the purpose of the universe. Why do you and I exist? For what purpose are we here? Right? And this is what the Kabbalists say. The Kabbalists say that God created you and me in order to give us ultimate pleasure. The ultimate of pleasure. That's what we're here to do. Now, unfortunately, a lot of people don't have that image of God. There's a cute comic strip called Calvin and Hobbes. Familiar with Calvin and Hobbes? Kabbalistic comic strip? Okay. So Hobbes, the toy tiger, turns to Calvin and says, Calvin, do you believe in God? And Calvin's got this philosophical look on his face with his hands behind his head and goes, well, somebody's out to get me. Right? And that's his belief in God. That somebody's out to get you. But the Kabbalah says it's just the opposite. There isn't somebody who's out to get you. There's somebody who's out to give you. And that you were created because Hashem, the Divine, God wants to give you the ultimate gift you could ever, ever imagine having in your life. Now let's think a little bit. What is the ultimate gift you could ever want in your life, you could ever give somebody in your life? What's the ultimate gift? When I think, for instance, in my childhood, my most favorite memory is I'm lying in bed and my mother is reading to me Winnie the Pooh. That was like ecstasy for me. I must have been, I don't know, 20 years old. And uh, no, I think I was 21. And, and uh, I'm lying there with my thumb in my mouth and my mother's reading to me Winnie the Pooh. That was ecstasy, right? Now why was that ecstasy? 
What was my mother giving to me in that moment? She was giving me the greatest gift a parent could give a child. A husband could give his wife. A wife could give her husband. A friend could give a friend. The greatest gift is called love. And you know how you give people love? And you know when somebody really loves you? When they give you presents. Not presents as gifts. Presents. When they're there for you. When they're just completely there for you. And my mother was completely there for me in that moment. My mother did exactly what the Divine did. She first made a space in her endless life for me. She moved everything out of the way and created a space, a loving space for me. Then she completely concentrated her being into this moment, into this bedroom, for the mind of this little boy, and gave me the greatest gift of love. The gift of love is called presence. And if you want to know if somebody really loves you, and if you really want to show somebody love, then you got to be there for them. Okay? And a lot of times people pass off presence with presence. T-S. And they think that I can give a gift. Cologne, golf clubs, new reefer, whatever. And you think that would really be a tremendous opportunity, right? But you have to understand, real love, the real gift is when you're there for somebody. And unfortunately parents don't understand this sometimes. Because I remember a friend of mine, his son was nominated to put the mezuzah on the wing of the new school's wing. Right? And the wife calls the husband and says, Joey just got this fabulous opportunity. He's going to be putting up the mezuzah. So her husband says, oh honey, um, I'm just, that's so great. I'm so excited. Uh, I just, you know, there's just so much going on in the business right now. And I, I really can't make it. But you know what? I'll make it up to him. I'll buy him that bicycle he always wanted. And that I'm sure will be more happy than me just showing up. Is that better than just showing up? Depends what kind of bicycle. Right now I'm just joking, right? No, it's not. But very often there are parents who think that toys are us, right? And that they can basically give themselves over to the kids with toys. When really, what do we want from our parents? What do we want from our spouses? What do we want from our friends? We want the gift of love called presence. This is the gift. In the beginning, the Kabbalists tell us is endless presence, divine presence. When God wanted to create you and me, He removed His presence from the center and created a space so you could have presence, so you could be. And then the greatest gift God gives us is His presence. To feel connected to the divine, to feel part of a greater power is the greatest gift you could ever hope. You know what it's called? It's called being a someone. We all, want, we all want to be a someone. Did you ever think what a someone means? Someone means that you're some of a one. You're not the one. You're just someone. But if you are some of the one, that you feel like a someone. And that's what we want to feel like. Each and every one of us want to feel like a someone. But how do you feel like a someone? When you're, for, when you're part of the one. When you feel a connection to the source of life, to the source of wisdom, to the source of love, then you're filled with vitality. 
And that, in a nutshell, is what Judaism is about. I know I didn't hear this in Hebrew school, right? so this might be surprising for some people. But Judaism is about feeling this incredible connection to the ultimate power of the universe. Feeling God's presence in our lives. You know, before I found myself involved in Judaism, I was very involved in rock and roll. I was in a rock band, and uh, I used to go to lots of concerts. Concerts were my sanctuary. Those were my shuls. And my favorite moment in those concerts was when everybody in the room suddenly is holding a match. Now today, I'm sorry to say, modern technology, people are holding up their cell phones, it's just not the same connection, right? But in, in the days when I was young and spry, right, we'd hold up a match. And thousands of people in the stadium are holding a match. And you, of course, have to have a match. You feel so good. And you see that mask getting to your fingers and you realize you're the idiot with the mask because everyone else had lighters. But okay, fine. But what was it about? It was about feeling I'm part of this great light. It was about give me the beat boys, free my soul, want to get lost in your rock and roll and drift away. And that's what we wanted. We wanted those rock stars and we still want those stars to take us to a higher place. To take us to a connection to a spirit that involves and envelops all of us. A universal soul that we all feel part of. This is the meaning of the Kabbalah. The Kabbalah teaches that the ultimate gift in our lives is to feel the presence of God in our lives. So now the question is, so who are the vessels? Now you know who the vessels are, you and me. Why did the vessels break? So the answer to that question is the Kabbalists tell us, is because they tried to take the light. And they didn't know the secret of Kabbalah. Because if somebody gives you love, you can't take it. You can't own it. You can't try to control it. You have to humbly, graciously accept it as a gift. Do you get that? Sometimes people get into this naggy mode, you don't love me, right? If you want love, you forget about it. That's not how you're going to get love, by demanding it and trying to control it. But gracefully and graciously receive it as a gift. In addition, the Kabbalists teach that each one of these vessels wanted all the presence for themselves. All the love for themselves. And that's the biggest mistake. You want love in your life? You know how you get love in your life? You give love. And the more you give love, the more love will come to you. Right? Mark Twain once said, the best way to be happy is to make somebody else happy. Right? Because that's the greatest gift. The more you give your presence to others, the more presence comes into your life. And somebody pointed this out. You know, in Israel there's two bodies of water. There's the Dead Sea. Were you already at the Dead Sea? Alright. Well, soon you'll see it. It's dead. And then there's the Kinneret. You were at the Kinneret? So the Kinneret is the Sea of Life. It's alive. There's fish and there's fishing and there's sports and there's lush, you know, green around it. It's alive. Do you know why the Kinneret is alive? 
and the Dead Sea is dead? Because the Kinneret receives the melting snow of the Khermon mountain, the waters of the melting snow of the Khermon mountain, and you know what the Kinneret does with that water? Passes it on through the Jordan River down. And you know what the Dead Sea does? It holds on to its water. And that's what makes it dead. You have been blessed with so much life energy, so much love in your heart, so much talent, such gifts that you've been given to give to the world. And if you don't give, it dries up. And the presence and the life force doesn't come to you. So the Kabbalists say that these vessels broke down because each vessel wanted to take the light, hold the light, and weren't interested in sharing the light. And the more you share your presence, your love, your compassion, your empathy, even your finances in tzedakah, the more blessing will come to you. So now the question is, the Kabbalists ask, well, so if the vessels didn't get it, because they were trying to get it rather than receive it, so then why did God give them His presence, His blessings, if they weren't ready? And the Kabbalists answer an amazing answer. Because if you never tasted the light, you'd never yearn for it and know what you need to work towards. In other words, the Kabbalists teach us that we are all born in this world with a metaphysical memory of something awesome, something incredible. When I was at rock concert, I don't know what I was looking for, right? But there was this sense that there's something greater than just this physical world. There's something greater than the material gifts that I had in my life. I was yearning for a spirit. I was yearning for a connection. I was yearning for some sense of real peace and love. Although we felt it for about an hour or two at the concert, but it wasn't really so much expressed when we walked out of the concert. But unfortunately, it was somewhat not a real opportunity, although it gave us a taste of maybe what could be the unity, the harmony, the united rhythm of us all just beating our hearts together, making music together, part of some greater symphony. That's what I was yearning for, and that's what I know everybody's yearning for in their lives. But the problem is, how do we yearn this? As soon as we're born, we're yearning. As soon as we're born, we're yearning love. How can you yearn love? Unless you've experienced love, you can't yearn it. How can you yearn a sense of purpose and meaning in your life if you've never tasted it? For instance, is there anybody in this room that has a craving for Gaba Giba? Nobody, because I made it up. It doesn't exist. You can't yearn to crave something you've never tasted. But then if you taste something, right, then you could yearn it. I had a friend who was traveling in Asia, and they happened upon a primitive kind of little settlement. They were invited in for a meal. They didn't speak English, you know, these primitives. And so they were eating, and my friend said, what is this? This is tasty. So the fellow said, monkey. So he said, ah, oh, this is very interesting, monkey. And they were eating monkey arms, right? Because that's considered to be a real delicatessen in that place. Now, I'm sure there's nobody here who has a craving for monkey arms. But it's really good with a little ketchup. I'm just joking, right? Put vinegar on it. So. You can't crave something you've never tasted. Well, I want you to know something. 
We've come in this world craving God. We might not call it God. We could call it universal love. We could call it purpose. We could call it transcendence. But we've come in this world craving. Now, I don't know if you've ever had this experience, but there are times where I might come home at night. Generally, I don't come home at night. I'm just joking. Right? I come home at night. And I'm really hungry. I open up the refrigerator door, and even though the refrigerator is full, nothing in there speaks to me. Just nothing seems to hit the spot, right? You know, I go through this like agonizing routine. Nah, maybe the macaroni from three years ago. Nah, maybe the soya. Nah, maybe the nah, right? Now, I close the door, I walk away, and then within seconds I come back and open the door again. Have you ever experienced that? What did you think? You thought a little elf in the meantime put something new in there? And you go through the same thing. No, not no, 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 no. And then you close the door, you walk away, and you come right back and open the door again. Have you ever done this three, four, five times to keep going back to the fridge? Well, I want you to know, if you ever experience this, is because what you're looking for is not in the refrigerator. Because what you're looking for is in the freezer, idiot. I'm just joking, right? Just joking, right? Because what you're looking for is not food, right? You're looking for drugs. No. You're... Or something close to drugs. What you're looking for is not a thing. I saw a fantastic Kabbalistic bumper sticker. It wasn't a Kabbalistic bumper sticker, but it taught Kabbalah. It basically said, the best things in life are not things. They're not things. Because what we're craving for is love. What we're craving for is meaning in our lives. What we're craving for is a deep sense of purpose in our lives. We're craving for a sense of significance. And yet, do you know scientifically each and every one of us is one six billionth of a speck of dust at best? Songs like Dust in the Wind are very optimistic. Right? You're not even dust in the wind, but they figure we'll give it to you, you know. But you're not. We're nothing. And yet even though everything from without tells us we're nothing, something deep inside tells each and every one of us we're something. What is it deep inside us that tells us we're something? It's God. Because we've tasted God in our lives somewhere. The Kabbalah teaches us that God gave these vessels a taste of endless presence and you come into this world with an endless craving. I have a friend who is, who is involved with Narcotics Anonymous and he told me that there's a phraseology in Narcotics Anonymous that goes like this. Within each and every soul is a God-sized hole that only God can fill. And all these disorders, whether they're eating disorders, or drug disorders, or sexual disorders, are all about trying to fill this endless craving, this void within me, that I don't know how to fill. But the Kabbalah teaches only the presence of God can fill this in our lives. And now the last question. First question was, what's this light? Endless loving presence. Who are the vessels? You and I. Why did they break? Because they tried to take the light, hold the light, and weren't willing to share the light and pass the light on. Why did they break? Why did God give them light that they couldn't handle? To give you a metaphysical memory. So that when you come in this world, you've already tasted something beyond this world. And you're trying to find this endless light in your life.
And the last question is, so how do you reconstruct your vessels to be receptive to this light in your life? And the answer is, first of all, you got to figure out what do you want? What do you want out of life? Because that's the most, in question, most important question you're going to have to ask yourself sometimes. And if you don't ask yourself that question, you'll wake up one day and you'll say, I blew my life. You know, Sam Walton from Walmart, those were the last thing, that's the last words on his mouth when he died. Right? The last words that came out of his mouth is, I blew it. Right? And then he died before he said, the shofar. Just joking, right? I blew it. You don't want to get there. Right? But you know why people blow it? Because they didn't ask the most important question. There are people who have PhDs over PhDs over PhDs. They know everything about the world except they know the least about who they are and why they are and what they've come to this world to do. And the only way you get that is by really thinking about it. And you guys are obviously that type of a personality because you came to the land of Israel. And I'm in awe of anybody that comes to the land of Israel. There's only two possible reasons why you're in the land of Israel right now. One is that you're totally insane, right? which is probably the first reason. right? And the other is, is you're a very high soul and you know there's something more to life than just things. And that's why you're here. And so how do you begin to build your vessel to receive the light? You have to ask yourself, what am I looking for in life? What's going to really make me happy? People think money's going to make them happy. People don't want money. Nobody's looking for a bunch of green pieces of paper with Washington's face on it. Right? That's not what makes you happy. It's the power perhaps that you think money could bring you or the fame that money could bring you or the freedom that money can bring you. But I know lots of people, and believe me, I've met a lot of very, very wealthy people who are miserable people. Miserable people. Because the best things in life are not things. And they spent all their time trying to get things, but things don't fill the endless hole in our soul because only the no things, divine presence, wisdom, love, understanding, compassion, all the attributes of divinity. And that's the first step, the first step to begin to rebuild your vessels. And one last point. I would say the most Kabbalistic movie I ever saw was The Wizard of Oz. How many people saw The Wizard of Oz? Of course you saw The Wizard of Oz, right? But The Wizard of Oz is about a little girl named Dorothy who obviously doesn't really appreciate her home. Then a hurricane or something hits the home and she gets thrown off and she lands in Munchkinland. And now she's all of a sudden yearning to go home. Missing her Auntie M and her Uncle L, I don't know his name, whatever his name was, okay? And now, her whole life is to struggle to get back home. She was home, but she didn't appreciate it. And when you don't appreciate what you have, you lose what you have, so that you can appreciate it and get it and really have it in your life. So now she's got to go through this long journey to see the wizard. And it's a long journey. And she's got to follow the epic road. And then on the way, she meets a straw man and a tin man and a lion, right? And one wants courage and one wants brains and one wants a heart, right? And she wants to get home. Because those are the ingredients of living a life. Okay? So they finally get to the wizard. Not a wizard, he's really just a professor from Kansas. 
Okay, fine, but he's got a balloon, he's going to take her home. She's very happy, she's kissing all the munchkins goodbye, and then there's a technical difficulty, and the balloon takes off, and she's crushed. Totally devastated. She's stranded in this munchkin land. She's going to have to marry two of these guys to see eye to eye with one because they'll stand on each other's shoulder. I mean, you know, like imagine if you think being single is tough. Imagine how she must have felt with all those munchkins, right? And she's devastating. She's crying. Then who shows up? Glinda, the good witch from somewhere. The East, right? Eastern Europe, right? So uh, the good witch comes. Her name is Glinda. Which, by the way, you know anything about gematria? Have you heard about gematria numerical value? You can take words and turn them into numbers and they equal other words, right? So check Glinda. Glinda equals the same numerical value as the word Mashiach, which means Messiah. Check that out. If you really believe me, you deserve that, okay? Just joking, okay? Forget about that. I'm just joking. All right, so Glinda shows up. She's the Messiah. She's beautiful. She's white and happy, smiling. Dorothy is having a nervous breakdown. And she says, Dorothy, what's wrong? And Dorothy says, I want to get home. I don't want to marry one of these kids, right? And I want to get home to my Auntie M. So what is the answer? The answer is, Dorothy, all you've got to do is click your heels three times and say, there's no place like home. There's no place like home. There's no place like home. Now when I was a kid and I saw that scene, I got angry. I got angry at Glinda. I said, Glinda, what the heck do you mean? I mean, if I were Dorothy, I would say to Glinda, Glinda, lady, now you show up? You couldn't have showed up a little earlier? Do you know what I'm going to pay on therapy to get those monkeys out of my head? I mean, where were you? But you know why Glinda came when she came? Because she can't come earlier than Dorothy knowing there's no place like home. And I want you to know this is a principle in your life that you're going to see. God will orchestrate your life just to try and help you understand what's really important. So that you'll be ready to receive what's really important. Because until you really want meaning in your life, and you still think money's going to give it to you, you're not going to get meaning in your life. And still you want real love in your life and understand what it takes to really build a loving relationship. And everybody knows the divorce rate is absolutely devastating today in the world. Right? Why? Simple. People don't know what they want. People don't really know what it means to love and to receive love. And that's the greatest learning. So what did we learn this morning? The Kabbalah teaches us that in the beginning all of existence was endless light. Endless loving divine presence. When the divine wanted to create you and me, he so to speak did what my mother did. He learned it from my mother. He removed himself from the center and created a space for you to have presence. He then concentrated his loving presence and gave himself over to you. And the greatest gift that Judaism is offering us is a feeling of a connection to the ultimate. A feeling of a connection to the ultimate presence, the source of everything. And yet, what does it take? What it takes is not to be a taker. What it takes is to be a humble receiver and a courageous giver. You want love, you want God in your life, you got to give love to other people. You got to give meaning to other people. Why did God give us light we can't handle? Because now we are born with a memory how good life can be. And somehow everything isn't enough.
Because we're not looking for everything. We're looking for the no things. Love, meaning, purpose. And the first step to start rebuilding our lives and receiving this presence is you have to really ask yourself, what do you want? And it's not enough to just answer it in your heart. You have to decide what is the most important things in your life. And hopefully the answer is, it's not things. It's no things. It's to be able to model my life in accordance to divinity. To bring love, compassion, peace, and kindness into the world. Thank you very much. Okay, we're going to take. Thank you. I'm going to take a couple of quick questions because I don't like just kind of dumping something and then just leaving. Uh, also, uh, my books are available. We're selling them at a discounted price for students. So if you're interested, the uh, talk I just shared with you is in my first book. Part of it is in my first book called Endless Light. And we have, thank God I've written eight books, but we have here two books Endless Light which is the ancient path of Kabbalah to love, spiritual growth, and personal power. And my second book is called Seeing God, Ten Life-Changing Lessons from the Kabbalah, which is literally how you recreate your own world, right? Because you are a co-creator of worlds, and the experience that you live with, you're responsible for. And so those two books are available if you're interested. In addition, uh, we recorded this talk, indeed we did, and... Um, we are very happy to send it to you through email, free of charge. But in order to do that, we need your email address. Now, don't worry. You know, we don't give away emails. We only sell them. So, uh, no, we're just joking. But, but uh, so we're going to pass around while there's some questions going on the email list and just send a whole bunch so people can get on if you're interested. And um, let's hear some questions. Yeah. Again, the point is, we we have a um, an email that goes out weekly, which is a article from myself and an article from my partner Rabbi Binny Friedman on the Parsha, on the weekly portion, as well as Israelite runs programs all across the United States. We do spiritual retreats, we do weekends, we do talks, uh, we have um, we have uh, follow-up to birthright programs in Israel. So if you want to know more about what Israelites doing, I-S-R-A-L-I-G-H-T, so get onto our email. Also, my card is at the back of the room. You can take my card. If you have any questions, I'd be happy to receive your emails, and I'd be happy to, to write back to you. And uh, let's hear some questions before we say goodbye to each other. Yes. Okay, so the question is, do you have to be 40 to learn Kabbalah? You know, everybody knows, and I was taught this in Hebrew school, that the study of Kabbalah is dangerous. Okay? And they warn, they warn people that if you study Kabbalah, that you're standing in the danger of it causing your hair to turn red. Now, I did not experience that happening. Just joking. Right. The danger of Kabbalah is it gives you a whole new paradigm, a whole new worldview on yourself, and the universe. And uh, it, uh, it, it could almost feel like you're on drugs. You know? Because essentially, I see people perked up, right? <laughs> 
I was just joking. No, no. It really, it, it's a, such a different way of seeing yourself in the world that things, a sense of real vitality and blessing pours into your life. And people can get intoxicated by these teachings. Okay? Now, there are some that would critique myself, and there would be some that would critique, you know, Lubavitch Chabad, that we teach mysticism. There are those in the Jewish world that think that mysticism is only for people who are evolved in their knowledge of Torah, committed to Torah. I'm not of that opinion. I know that Chabad is not of that opinion either. We believe that we're in a generation that must hear the secrets of Judaism. Because I went to Hebrew school and it meant very little to me. I had a bar mitzvah and it was more a bar than a mitzvah. And uh, was. it was more a bar than a mitzvah. And uh, to me, Judaism had no meaning, no value, had nothing to offer me, you know? And really, the secrets of Judaism which are found in the Kabbalah really give you a whole new handle on what life can be. And so much of it is in your hands because really so much of your life is your perception of life. There are people who have good reasons to be miserable and they're happy. And there are people who have good reasons to be happy and they're miserable. So it just goes to show that the things and the situations, the events in your life are not determining your happiness. You know who is? You are. You decide to be happy. Happiness is a choice. But to make that, that choice, you need to have an understanding of who am I, why am I, what is this world all about. And that's what the Kabbalah teaches us. Now, I have to admit that there's lots of books in Kabbalah out there, and some of them are, are really not comprehensible whatsoever. And so people are sure they're studying Kabbalah because they don't know what the heck they just read. So this is definitely mysticism. Um, I've worked very hard to translate Kabbalistic ideas in a way that anybody could understand it. Right? So that's my goal. My goal is to share the wisdom, the secrets of Judaism that really enable us to see the joy in being Jewish. I hated being Jewish growing up. You know, my mother is a survivor of the Holocaust. And to me, Judaism was all just about pain and suffering and guilt. And I was Jewish by guilt. It was only later on in my life that I had this opportunity to come to Israel and start learning the richness of my heritage. And I didn't realize, like, wow, the power, the wisdom of Judaism gives a person the meaning, the joy, the perspective. So sadly enough, most of us Jews, we have no clue what we have. And then we have to hear about some lady named Madonna who studied Kabbalah and she, you know, and she's very, and she's dancing naked with, uh, <laughs> she's dancing with these like, uh, you know, Hebrew letters behind her. And she's impressed with Judaism. Right? I want you to know, my guess is in the next 10 years, being Jewish is going to be one of the coolest, hippest things in the world. It will be. Right? And you see it happening. You see it with Madonna. You see it with Matisiau. What basically, you know, I mean, Matisiau is doing concerts. He's got Puerto Ricans singing Shema Yisrael. I mean, I don't know what's going on. You know, but they're definitely on drugs, this guy. No, I'm just, you know, it's like unbelievable. But something's happening in the world. When I was growing up, you know, the Beatles hanging with Maharishi, that was hip. I want you to know, next 10, 15 years, the hippest is going to be Jewish. And I have... I have so many letters from non-Jews that write me from my books. I get more letters from non-Jews than from Jews. I get monks writing me and priests writing me. There's a psychotherapist in Boston that's now using my books as part of required reading for all his clients. Because he sees that the Kabbalah is teaching the wisdom of the universe. So this is happening, right? 
There's only one question. Do you want to be part of this happening? The fact that you came to Israel, but your goal should to follow yourself up. Because this trip could just be fabulous pictures. You know, you could have it all digitized, right? The question is, did you sell it to yourself? Right? Are you sold on this with your soul? Because otherwise, this is an amazing trip, but will you take it home or are you going to walk home with a wooden camel from the Shook, you know? <laughs> By the way, we're also selling wooden camels. Uh, yeah. Why do you think now Okay, why is Kabbalah becoming such a trend? Why now? It has to do with the evolution of consciousness. We are now ready for the ideas of Kabbalah. Because the truth is, uh, in my studies of Kabbalah, the use of quantum physics has been very, very helpful. Quantum physics has enabled us to understand models that the Kabbalists were using thousands of years ago. Right? So we're now able to understand these teachings in a way that possibly no generation was able to understand like we are. In addition, I think we're hitting the greatest period of darkness. Because basically, you know, there's a point where wealth turns into your curse. Because you have all your materialistic dreams fulfilled, and then suddenly you realize doesn't deliver the goods. Like Madonna says. She's asked, why do you study Kabbalah? What inspired you to even seek this out? She says, look, who knows better than me? I have good looks, fame, money, power, and I wasn't happy. Right? Wasn't happy. And I have a friend who was very close to her, and he said that she was a miserable, horrible person. And when she started studying Kabbalah, she really changed. Right? She really changed, and she's much nicer. She's working on herself. Right? She's working on a lot of things in her life. She, in an interview, she pointed out that she's trying to work on foul language. You know? So she, every time she says a swear word, she puts a ducka, she says, in a pushka. <laughs> like it's, it's like, it's mind-boggling. She has mezuzahs on her doors. She doesn't do concerts Friday night. I'm told she only eats kosher. Right? I know what's, what's going on here. Something's really bizarre going on over here. But what's going on here is, you know, as was earlier mentioned, I've had the opportunity to learn with a number of celebrities. And uh, I was recently in an interview and someone asked me, you know, I can't help but ask you, what's it like to learn with celebrities? I said, you know, celebrities are in many ways just like everybody else. They have the same problems as everybody else, but quite frankly, their problems are more pronounced. Because as long as you haven't succeeded materially, you still think that that's going to deliver what you're looking for. Right? But as soon as you finally get your American dream, that's your greatest failure. Because now you don't know why you're not happy. Right? Why are you not happy? And that's a sad thing, that people wait a very long time because they think that happiness is going to come from their material benefits. It's not. Right? I'm not against money, I'm not against material wealth, neither is Judaism. Right? But it's only a vessel. A purse is only valuable if there's something in it. And if there's no soul in your life, no real spirituality in your life, no real connection to God in your life, then what gives life any value? Right? Judaism says that the highest form of living is service. 
to be in a state of service where I'm serving God to bring love into the world, peace into the world, kindness into the world, compassion in the world, justice into the world, truth into the world, that gives my life meaning. Because to have meaning means I'm a means to a higher end beyond myself. And the most destructive thing you can do to yourself is to be selfish. So what's happened is the world is realizing this more and more. And part of it has to do with all the disorders. You know, all the disorders, it's like people are just hitting rock bottom and they don't know where to go from there. You know, it's like when I was growing up, The Who was very big. And one of my favorite albums was Who's Next? And basically, Who's Next is, uh, you know, the cover of the album, if you're familiar with it, is this huge concrete block. And The Who are urinating on this block. And it's establishment. And basically, the biggest song was Teenage Wasteland. It was all about a teenage wasteland. Of course, Who was part of the great gods of the teenage wasteland? The Who, you know. They were part of the teenage wasteland. I was part of that teenage wasteland. Just getting wasted. Right? Life is too precious to waste. And I said, why are people getting wasted? But that's because they have no sense. So when you waste yourself out to the point where you hit rock bottom sometimes, and I think the world's bottoming out. Just too many people are miserable. Too many sicknesses, mental sicknesses. You know, the, 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 the percentage of people seeing therapists is unbelievable. Right? People are just not happy. Why? Well, I think we don't, we have not asked the most important question. What is really worth wanting? Anyway, I want to thank you guys so much. You fabulous people. Thank you. And again, uh, we'd be very happy to email you a copy of this uh, talk. So please give us your email address. And if you're interested in the books, they're in the back. And thank you very much. Enjoy. This presentation by Rabbi David Aaron has been brought to you by Israelite, inspiring a renaissance in Jewish living. To access additional presentations from our online media library, order our best-selling books, or learn more about Israelite programming, including seminars, web-based learning, teleconferences, spiritual retreats, Shabbaton experiences, Israel missions, and leadership training, please visit us at www.israelite.org. That's www.isralight.org. You can also call us in New York at 212-947-4990 or in Jerusalem at country code 972-627-4890. We hope you enjoyed this presentation and we look forward to learning with you at Israelite.